Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Winsor, author and book coach. We're currently still on a break, but our new series is just around the corner. Today, we're hearing again from Huma Qureshi. To say that this episode had an impact on me would be a massive understatement. I followed some of Huma's advice uh, that we talked that she talked about on this episode, and I'm pleased to say that I came runner-up in the Harper's Bazaar Short Story Prize this year. So. If you uh, would like to benefit from Hummer's incredible writing advice, uh, don't just listen to this episode. Do also check out her new writing course, which is starting on October 31st. It's called Miniature Worlds, Writing Short Stories with Hummer Qureshi. Um, if you are if you love short stories and you don't know where to begin with writing them or you find it difficult to finish them, do check it out. Uh, you can find uh, more details on her website, hermakureshi.co.uk. Here's the episode. Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny. And you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing and creativity amongst life's many other demands. This week I have with me Hama Qureshi. She's the author of a number of books and short story collections. Um, first of all, today we're going to talk about the things that we do not tell the people we love, which is out on November 11th. I've got that right, right? November 11th. Okay. <laughs> uh, but she's also the author of a memoir, How We Met, which came out earlier this year, um, and a narrative nonfiction book, In Spite of the Oceans, which explores individual journeys of generations in transition from the South Asian subcontinent. She also has an essay in The Best, Most Awful Job, which was edited by Catherine May. Actually, that's where I first came across you. I absolutely love that collection so oh. much. Um, and Homer is also a former Guardian and Observer journalist and is now working on her first novel. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> well, um, your collection, let's talk about that first, the things things we do not tell the people we love. Um, uh-huh. I mean, I just absolutely hoovered it up hoovered it up. I mean, I think first of all, for me at the moment, I'm just having a bit of a short story bent right now. And I'm just so excited to read them. There's something about this idea that um, you can take a topic um, and really explore it in lots of different ways and different perspectives within one book. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that. There's, um, you know, the book which is exploring motherhood and children that have been lost and children that have sort of become estranged and grown and also the distance between lovers and this idea that you can explore those topics from just slightly different angles each time. Um, and often as well in some of the stories, the opposite perspectives. Um, and so I was just wondering, uh, what was it that drew you to writing the short stories in the first place? Did it begin just with one and then build from there? Or did you have your eye right from the beginning of, of it being one collection? So I always knew I wanted to. So when I made the kind of transition towards fiction, I'd always been writing fiction in the background of my writing life. And so short stories were already my uh, my passion, really. I was quite obsessively reading them. I loved the craft of them. I kind of studied them in my spare time, to be honest. Um, so it was never a case of I'm going to do a short story because I think that's uh, because it might be easier than than a novel kind of thing. It was always driven by the love of the craft of a, of a short story and was just the intensity of it. Mm-hmm. And just like what you've said, the fact that you can knit things together, but also have things stand alone and they just how neatly and intensely they kind mm-hmm. of fit. And for me, the best collections were always the collections that were not just sort of 
um, stories that had been written over years and just happened to be collected together. They were always the ones that would be on a theme uh, in a subtle way, not in a very obvious kind of way. Um, so at some level, I always knew that was what I w- would want to do. And it was what I, I loved the idea of eventually writing a short story collection and having enough stories. But it didn't... Um, it didn't necessarily come to me like that. I did start with one story um, and I think it was the story Foreign Parts was, I think one of the very first stories that I wrote, it was written a long time ago. So I already had that story and I knew there were themes in that story at the time that I wrote it that I knew could be pushed further and explored further. But I'd written Foreign Parts as a standalone story years ago and entered it into mislexia and it was you know it was kind of the first time that I'd taken a piece of writing that was fiction and put it out somewhere and for me at the time that was enough but those themes have always kind of haunted me I guess and I was still continuing to write fiction but those themes of lovers and um, miscommunication Mm -hmm. uh, being away from home the kind of tension that it puts you under when you are out of your comfort zone all those things have always I've always found fascinating I'd look for them in other fiction it's this kind of stories I was drawn to um and then one summer which would have been two summers ago now um uh or would it have been last summer no two summers ago I um sort of felt this real urgency to begin writing my fiction like taking my fiction more seriously um, and I m- missed that whirlwind that comes over you when you're writing fiction, mm. because that was what I remembered from experiencing, you know, from having written short stories in secret um, for myself. And, you know, I, I took creative writing classes when I was working on a newspaper and stuff. So I had this kind of, I, I felt out of touch with it because I hadn't done it for a while. I um, hadn't done writing fiction for a while. I had, you know, I was writing my memoir and so on and so forth. And then I sort of just sat down and really felt this real urgency that I needed to write fiction. My um, my my life had been sort of on hold with children to a certain extent. And my youngest child um, had been very ill that summer that I began to feel this urgency and he he got through it he was in hospital he got through it it was fine but after that I felt this real urgency like you know like time was was short and I needed to do something with it and I needed to make something to have which in a way and I can come back to this later but it's sort of reminiscent of one of my characters who turned to origami as a way to sort of channel something and in a way I was channeling perhaps that fear of having been through um you know a difficult time with my my baby with my child I I just felt this real urgency that I needed to do something that I could do I needed to master something that I could do that I could be in control of and that to me that for me was was the writing um and so he you know he was all absolutely fine after that period after that summer he went to nursery and he was my youngest so when he went into nursery I had these windows of time that suddenly opened up and that urgency kept building and it was like I have to do this I have to do this and I don't know where it came from but it was like a fire under me um and then I I I sort of set myself this goal from the app before I began writing any other stories set myself this goal that I would 
write 10 stories by the end of that year. And that was my sort of vision. I looked up um, competition entries and set them as not because I, you know, wanted to win, but because I needed the deadlines. And I was so focused and so blinkered. I just started writing um, and they came together. And it was really obvious to me what I wanted to explore because I'd sort of touched on them in the very first story that must have been written. I mean, that that one um, and the last story, which is called The Wishes, those two stories have been sort of drifting around mm. for a while. And The Wishes, which is one of my favourite stories. It's my favourite too. One, oh, <laughs> that one had been drifting around, but in different formats. Um, so it, it wasn't the same as what's in the book now. Yeah. But those themes kept colliding and I sort of wanted to take those themes and preserve them in the individual beginnings of stories that I already had but also explore them further Mm. Um, and so that's what happened so in a way they kind of just happened because I had this impetus to write them but on the other hand there was also a real focus to it Mm. and I was very clear that you know I started writing in September and my aim was that by the end of the year by December I'd have 10 stories um there was a deadline that really massively motivated me which was the SI Leeds Literary Prize which is for underrepresented um women writers of black and Asian background and they had a deadline in February so I started writing in September and I was aware of this deadline in February and one of the reasons it sort of became this big deadline was it was the only one that accepted short story manuscripts as well, um, as well as it being very important for, you know, for uh, underrepresented um, women writers. Um, But because the fact that it took short stories was like, became like a big goal because all the other awards were single stories. Yeah. And this was for a standalone collection. Yeah. So, um, because I noticed with that prize that it was for the whole collect, was it for the whole collection? It was for the whole collection, which I think is quite unusual, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because sadly, I don't think short stories are given the same kind of attention in sort of UK as they are in the US, where they're seen very much as a craft and a skill. And here, I think people seem to, there's this general assumption that short stories are easier to write than novels, and they're not seen as that kind of traditional craft that actually Mm. many novel writers began as short story writers to hone and to craft and to take that intensity of a moment rather than this you know the the broad expanse of novel so um so yeah that became a real kind of goal in my head was like if I finish the stories in December I'll edit them in January it'll be ready to send in February and it and it really wasn't because I had any expectations Mm. for any of them it was because I just had this yeah this real burning urgency to to sort of do something and to create something that I could control the narrative of um and I don't know I think it, it only sort of hit me really recently actually because some about the wishes of women and the wishes and and the, and the folding of the birds um I don't I don't want to confuse anyone who's listening to the podcast about what that story is but she turns to origami in a moment of despair um mm-hmm. to to create something and to feel that need that she is doing something and it only hit me quite recently actually that that's sort of what I was doing as well with my mm-hmm. stories I was trying to control something in a world that felt uncontrollable and out of my hands and in the chaos I needed my own world that I could navigate um and 
I became very invested in, in all of these characters and all of these women who feel so real to me, even though they're not at all, which is crazy as well. This idea that we spend our days writing these like fiction, <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild, but they just, yeah, they really mattered to me. And I, I just, those four or five months, my head was just down. I, mm. I didn't come up for air and, and it was all I could think about. And in terms of how you structured your time, it was interesting you're saying that your youngest was going to nursery as well, because um, interesting, I just heard Lucy Caldwell talk about how, you know, part of the reason she's done. I love Lucy Caldwell. I know she's incredible, (laughs) isn't she? And part of the reason she was saying she did, you know, a stint of short stories and put off her, which is now handed in next novel, um, was because she had young children. And actually she found that um, the headspace for short stories, um, just in terms of, and this is also what I'd recommend whenever any young mother says that they're struggling to read, I always tell them that you should read short stories because there's yeah. something about being able to hold that space for something yes. that's short and intense that kind of fits quite well with motherhood in a way. Yeah, yeah, it does because in motherhood, all your moments become short and intense and there are all these <laughs> moments between other moments, um, moments between naps, basically. Exactly, <laughs> and so, three hours of nursery, which is like, yes, you know, by the time you kind of exactly. get to and from there, you know, and you've got a few hours and you don't, and you've got to do some other errands exactly, at the same time. Exactly yeah. where I was. And in fact, I, I remember reading Alice Munro who... Um, you know, obviously a short story master of her, of, of the craft. I remember her saying something similar that she started writing short stories as, a, you know, she was, she was a housewife um, back in, in those days. And she, she just couldn't, didn't have that headspace for that vision, but these moments would come to her. Mm. So I think it is, it's not that it's easier, but it's that life becomes a series of moments and in a way I think that's one of the things that's always attracted me to short stories is this the slice of the time it Mm. seems to me like in a way that's what we remember about our own lives we remember the the slices of lives we don't remember and then then and then and then like the fillers in between um and I think that's something that I'm finding challenging with the novel is that I want to go all in on the intense moments but if you put all of them in a row it becomes very you know when it's all interlinked it's a it's a little too much it's too there, there has to be like a, a yeah breath. it's unsustainable um, over the course of the novel isn't it yeah um, whereas there's just something quite incredible about a short story and even um you know you change um perspectives a number of times throughout the book some is first person some is third person um and you're coming from different angles of these relationships as well um I I found it like particularly, I think the one I found most shocking in a way was, um, was, uh, is too much, um, about from, from the mother's perspective, Mm. um, with a daughter who's from mixed heritage, um, and, and she was a single parent and that distance that grows between her and her daughter as her daughter, um, grows up and finishes university. And in a way it's funny, it's probably not, the most shocking thing that happens in the collection but it felt shocking I think to read it from that perspective because there's quite a lot of daughters in the book that we read their perspective but to read from the mother's perspective and to try and guess what was going on yeah. between, in between the lines of that relationship yeah. um was yeah. I found yeah really fun- interesting that's um uh, in a way I think that story some when I read it back I've had to sort of take a breath 
because it is it's too much it's a lot to to take Mm. um and I I didn't want to do it in a very um in a horrible way like it's not a horrible story it's just a very sad story and the emotion of that I think what I wanted to capture was how and and this is one of the themes that runs throughout the collection is that this notion of completely misunderstanding a relationship Mm. and because we see it from the mother's perspective she thinks her daughter's her best friend um you know she just that's she assumes this this closeness this bond they've been through everything it's just the two of them but somewhere along the line she got it wrong and I think what's particularly what I wanted to do like sometimes I wonder would the daughter's version of that story being but but it seems seemed really important to me to stay with the mother for this story and I think that's what the heartbreak is is that there's no reason for it there is no reason that she can put to it and there's no massive dramatic moment that happens it's just they fall apart and I find that really 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 sad and it was very difficult to I think it was one of those moments where I it, it wasn't actually difficult to write that because I think I was I was underwater when I was writing it. So I almost, you know, it all kind of came out. And it was when I was reading it back that it was like, oh my God, where did that come from? Because that's a, that it, it felt both, um, I think something I really like to play with is the idea that it, it could be believable. I'm not so into the big kind of massive drama that's, drama that for, for entertainment that, that you know couldn't possibly be real but it's so fun to read like you know a crazy thriller or something like that I, I'm very very much drawn to everyday moments and uh real real relationships like making these fictional relationships as real as they can possibly be so that you could say well actually I can understand how that could happen to so-and-so's daughter moved away and now they never speak again like those are the things that I find quite quite chilling and quite desperately sad and mm. very fascinating to explore um in those themes and it's interesting because this that story I remember my lovely agent Laurie she had given the collection to her mum to read and that her mum had said that story she just couldn't she just couldn't she just didn't want to look she just didn't want to know it's sort because of it was so almost, sad <laughs> it's almost like your worst fear I think as a mother isn't it yeah. and I think that's what's so heartbreaking about that story is it's sort of um you can you can it's just you can just imagine it happening and you can just imagine it in a way that's really um incredibly painful yes yeah 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 and that's exactly that and I think that's what I would hope I tried to achieve in all the stories is to take moments that could happen and that that's what you're left to sit with um really and that's what I I tried to do anyway is is make these characters who to me feel so you know like I care about them I still care about them which sounds nuts it sounds absolutely bonkers to say that out loud but you know I really do and I could imagine these things happening to them even though they are not me and they're far removed from me but um yeah it was too much it was, it was really like at the heart of the collection as well because I think all the stories lead up to it and then you have this big sort of I think it's the longest story as well in the collection and, and uh, a few people who've read it had said like that's 
that's the one they want to turn into a novel kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't curious. it? It is true that there's something about that slightly that perspective shift that happens in that story from coming from an older generation where a lot of the other stories are from a a kind of younger generation and that is so um, interesting and there just feels like there is so much. I mean, there's obviously something unsaid in every single story, but there feels like that feels like the peak to me. That's interesting. I hadn't actually noticed it was right in the middle. And actually what... What's really interesting, actually, when you say that about the older perspective is that um, Scepter, my brilliant publisher, has done something really clever with the audiobook, which is that there's a younger sort of actress uh, reader for most of the stories, but for too much, it's a slightly older voice. Uh, And I thought that was genius, really. That's amazing. It just seemed like that's, I've never heard of that before that you yeah. know I mean maybe it does exist I don't um I don't always listen to like I'm, I'm more likely to to read a book than to listen to an audiobook and if it's an audiobook it'll be going for a long long time because I'll listen to it on a walk and it's not it's not something I'll always pick up but I don't know if that's often done but when they suggested that I just thought that's just such a clever idea because it captures something and I'm very kind of I can imagine the hairs on my the back of my neck standing up yeah. listening to that, that because it's, it's that shift of this is you have all the girls that have gone that are going through something and then you've got someone who's gone through so much already mm. and then this happens um so yeah it'd be very exciting yeah. to hear <laughs> so when you were writing the collection did you um focus very much on one story at a time finish it and put it aside and then yeah. come back to edit later um when you'd sort of built up the amount of stories that you wanted to write I did. Um, I actually, and this is what I'm finding very challenging moving from short stories to a novel, because of course my short stories that, you know, they would have, there's a whole other load of them that would never be published that I wrote, like when I was experimenting with Mm -hmm. writing fiction. So it's always been short stories. And, and so it's very different going from that to a novel, but with my short stories, um, they would come, yeah, one at a time. I would, I would write them. I, I had my windows of writing time were three days a week for four hours a morning. So I would drop my little boy at nursery and then I'd go to a cafe to maximize the time so I wasn't traveling mm-hmm. back and forth. So I would be like literally around the corner. So I'd leave it to the very last minute to go and pick him up. But <laughs> I'd be then they were great. They would just let me sit there and and write. And the stories would come in a very complete way like I would know what I wanted to explore I would see the characters like I'd see it all quite visually in my head um almost like the opening credits of a film like the not the credits but the opening shots where you know they're just sort of sweeping but then there's a a zoom in on a tiny detail and I love that way of of looking um like cinematically and I I'd tried to do that with my stories and I'd see them like that in my head which again I'm aware sounds really strange and slightly pretentious and very bonkers but I would actually see it like a film or a scene mm-hmm. um and I'd begin to write and I'd often be very it was very rare that I didn't know what the ending would be um and they would come quite complete as complete entities and then actually I would write and edit write and edit as I was going so they would I would feel this sense of 
completion with each mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only really on the longer ones too much and the wishes that I would come back to them again and again and rewrite bits. And there were certain things that didn't feel right. But on the whole, a lot of them were sort of crafted and worked on. And then I would feel very satisfied and I'd feel that sense of satisfaction and I would move on and I would leave it and I would not tinker with it then. Um, and it's so funny to say all of this now because, of course, the way that I'm writing now is absolutely not like that at all. And I've had to let go of it. And I think actually, and I know this was something we were going to talk about uh, uh, as we, you know, as we chat, but I think one of the reasons short stories felt natural for me to write like that and the way that I would see them as a whole and the way that I would work on them and edit them and then finish them, I think that's because of journalism. Mm -hmm. I approached it in a very much the same way because you don't, you don't sit there at least I didn't I mean I worked uh, you know on both a, a weekend and a daily and so you don't you don't just dwell on it for so long I mean not in the sections that I was working on yeah. at least um you, you literally the would have you do yeah. the work you do it yeah. you don't you don't have time to do that and you need to know at the beginning where yes. where it's going to end yes. and you leave your spaces for the quotes that the people that you need to call and the stats you need like you fill it in and it and it's it's done it's complete and I think again it's one of those things that I've only really come to understand why I write write like that I've just started to make the dots because I've realized I've got to let go of that with a novel because you you can't possibly know every bit that's going to happen and just finish it in a day and it's done it's just just, oh wouldn't it be amazing if it was that way but it's not (laughs) um so yeah they they, that's how I wrote them so I kind of I didn't edit it as a full body of work until I felt that each story itself was Mm -hmm. at a level of completeness because they were so distinct as well yeah so I didn't want to edit them as a whole collection so that I would try too hard to bring them together or spoil the fact that each story has its own rhythm and each story has its own uh, texture and intensity to it um so that's yeah that's how I did it It one by one and then so when it came to putting it together as a whole um is that where you got input for your agent and then and then further down the line and editor in terms of like the um how you decided to order the stories or was it really clear from the beginning how you were going to order them um it was less clear how I was going to order them and the order in which they were when I began to submit to agents was um pretty much the order that I'd written them in um pretty much but not uh, I mean I say that I I I wrote them in a certain I wrote them just as they came and they were they I quite literally would write each story in Google Docs and they'd have their own separate file and then when I reached that level of of what I felt was that's it that's my satisfied contentness that you kind of get when you know that there's no more that you can do to it I would copy and paste them all one by one into one running document which gave me a lot of pleasure because when I would feel sort of like stuck or whatever it was like I have this one complete body of work that yeah. that is the constantly the, the edited version it was it was coming together and I could scroll through it and I could see that I was getting there and I nearly had my my 10 stories and so on but I um I think once I'd written the whole collection I was preparing to submit to 
literary agents, I began to sort of like read up a bit about the order of collections. And I, I, I knew that there needed to be a certain thought process to it. I couldn't just simply submit on the order that I'd written them. But it wasn't until afterwards with my um, agent and my editor that we both, we all kind of cumulatively analysed and thought about the pacing. Mm. Um, There were certain things that I was clear on. I wanted it very much to end on the wishes. Mm. um, And I wanted too much to be in the middle. Um, It just felt natural. I I don't think I could, I think the collection would have felt completely different if too much was the start or if the wishes was at the start and I also really loved this first story premonition I I love her her voice um and it's funny it doesn't feel like my voice it's her voice it's in first person but I I loved her as a character yeah and I felt like she was who I wanted to open with um and then the rest we were yeah there was there was a lot some some talks about what we felt was the right feeling um because a lot of it is is all feeling isn't it and like mm. pulling pulling you in and then giving you just a step back to breathe or to take you somewhere else yeah. like let's go to Italy now <laughs> let's 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 just take a breath um so yeah I mean I had fun with that as well I I enjoyed the uh kind of playing around with the order because I'd read somewhere that it's like like putting a mixtape together and you know when you were like a teenager yeah and you do it for someone you really liked or your best friend or whatever but you put thought into the person listening to it right so it's the similar thing that you put thought into the feeling that your reader's gonna get from it um Oh, that because, actually yeah. feels so similar to the process of designing the chapters in my narrative nonfiction book. Just it's just like, how do I want the reader to feel now? Feel, What's the yeah. natural progression now? Do we need to have a little break from that intensity? Like, you know, yeah, it just it sounds like quite a similar process. But yeah, so I can yeah. see because it's so satisfying, isn't it, to have things yeah not into place. Exactly that. And that again is something that I have to struggle with with novel writing because it's not neat and tidy and there's something about seeing my you know copy and pasting my finished short stories into one long running document it's incredibly satisfying and it's it's neat it's tidy and it's already you know taking shape in a way that writing a novel is much more just sprawling and and it's all over the place and so it's and it's so very wild and (laughs) and different to anything I've done so yeah I think um I think that neatness and that sense of order, but also it's really interesting because underneath it all, like in the feelings and the stories are, are not neat and they're not no, ordered not and there's a chaos yeah. and, and a turmoil and it's quite troubling. And to be able to to shape that into something yeah. is quite interesting. It's just a very interesting process to be able to do that. Mm. And you mentioned that you were submitting to agents. So did you so you didn't already have an agent for your memoir when you were submitting your short stories? So it's a it's um it's an interesting story. So I when I was a journalist at the Observer and I was quite young, I was just sort of starting out. Um, I used to write um, lots of first person pieces back in those days, but I also used to do like a bit of everything because I was hungry for it and I was starting out and you'd do whatever anyone told me to do. So I was writing 
all sorts of different pieces for different sections, um, whether it was for life and style or whether it was for um, the consumer desk and all of that. So I got approached by an agent um, and she said, oh, you know, have you got any ideas for a book? I was like, no, but I'll sign anyway. So I did that um, <laughs> and I signed up. And I think what she had hoped was that I would be one of those journalists who could write a book to commission like you know when they they need to match the writer with a subject they've already got so it'd be very non-fiction and very remote from me um but I I had an agent and I didn't think anything of it I was sort of early 20s and I was like oh yeah I've got an agent but I don't didn't do anything with it um and I think because of that uh, and then she left and she moved on but I was still sort of just floating on their books as someone who hadn't really contributed anything um so I um suddenly came to life with how we met and they because that was non-fiction they you know they represented me for that and that was all that was all great um but I was very clear that I was moving in this direction and I knew that that was not the direction that they were in so we very amicably mm. um which is interesting because I don't think people talk about that. I think sometimes you feel like, you know, it's very daunting finding an agent. So I had this experience where I never had to find an agent. They found me, Mm. but ultimately wasn't quite what my long-term focus wanted to be. But I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that, you know, that I, you know, I was dreamt that I would do something with fiction, but I never, it never occurred to me at that stage of my career to sort of research agents because I had nothing to show at that mm-hmm. point um so that's what I I did we finished how we met and I'd sort of been writing them there was an overlap between writing how we met and waiting to hear back on it and the short stories were being written at the same time and just keeping me going uh, because one thing that I have learned as well um and I think this is partly through sort of three stages of motherhood with each of my three children was that the longer I stepped out of the game, the more my self-doubt would mm. block me from doing anything. So that's one thing I do now as well as the minute I finish something, I have to keep going. I just have to keep going because if I stop, then I'm going to talk myself out of it. And that's basically what I did in those years of navigating motherhood. I I kept freelancing, but I kept getting, but I found every pitch a terrifying process because I'd been out of it. And um yeah so I just sort of kept that momentum going by writing the stories whilst how we met was sort of being sort of played around with and considered um so that ultimately somehow bizarrely in the pandemic I ended up with two manuscripts that also bizarrely have ended up coming out in the same year which makes me look much more productive than I am um so uh so yes so I then uh, when it became clear that how we met was sort of going in its own direction and I got my editor and everything, we, you know, it was ready for me to take um, things we do not tell out into the world and find an agent. So that was a very eye-opening kind of experience for me because I'd never had to do it before. And I felt very, very anxious. I felt like I was starting all over again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a really nerve-wracking experience. And um, and how did it f- feel as well submitting short stories rather than a novel? Because it's not that yeah, it's, common either, no, is it? No, it is, it's much harder. So if you kind of Google, as I was doing, I was Googling advice for how to submit to a literary agent. It's all about novel writers um, or nonfiction. It will mm-hmm. talk you through a book proposal, um, but very few 
agents take on short stories. Well, I say that there must have been, I made a spreadsheet of all the ones that I could find that did, and I submitted to pretty much all of them. So there must be at least like, I don't know, 15 or so, or at least that's what I found. But a lot of the, the, and then that's hard as well, because you want to have um, a writing life uh, that includes perhaps more than just short stories as well. well. This is the so, thing, isn't it? It's about yeah. finding someone who has, I guess, can have the same vision for your career that you do. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And um, in the end, I got, um, I, I want to say I got lucky, um, but that's maybe not doing myself justice because I did, I did have that focus to do, to submit and to write to all those deadlines and things. Um and in the way that it ended up happening was that uh, one of my stories won the Harper's Bazaar Prize. And I'd been very strategic in uh, targeting which deadlines I wanted to, to stick to and which competitions I wanted to enter because I was taking notice of who the judges were because I, mm. I desperately wanted to get noticed um, and I wanted something to come of it. I didn't just want that I was just entering this one-off story. I, I This was... I mean, looking back, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where all that organisation and that kind of really methodical way of I'm going to make this happen came from. I don't know. I wish I could do that now, like every day. Like, but I was like, I I was so um, yeah, I just so focused. I chose competitions based on who the judges were. So mm. if there were editors that I admired or agencies that I, you know, if a literary agent and on Harper's, of course, they've got some of the most incredible names in publishing um, at the top of their their games. And one of those was Caroline Michael um, at PFD Agents. And uh, when the prize was, when I found out that I won, she wasn't actually on my list um, to submit to um, because I'd read somewhere that she was so high up in her game, there's no point as a debut, don't even go there. But because she had... um, you know, and in the magazine piece, they were, they'd all sort of given a quote. And Bernadine Everisto was one of the judges as well. So they'd all said these incredible things about my writing that I would never, ever, ever have contemplated or dreamt of. And so then I bit the bullet and I submitted to her and I changed, I changed it all and said, like, I, you know, I think I said something like I would never have normally submitted to you, but because you chose my prize, you chose my story to win. Um, and then I went on this journey where I had, where Caroline, um, in, um, Caroline had her next agent coming up behind her. And that's my now agent, Laurie, who has, she basically saw me through everything. And it's because of Laurie that things we do not tell, the people we love exists, even because she was absolutely incredible um and it was just a whirlwind after that because she because I had multiple offers which again I never anticipated but I think that was because of the winning the prize that suddenly it looked familiar to people or they shuffled it in their emails and they began to read it Um, and I didn't know that people took notice of it I was aware that Harper's had a literary tradition there there I was very aware that people who had won it had become very you know, well-respected novelists. Um, I didn't ever, ever expect to have got as far as I did with it. Um, And it was just a whirlwind after that process because then I had people wanting to represent me, but it felt right with Laurie and it felt like right to go with her and she completely understood. And um, yeah, she took it 
and it ended up in an auction which I would never again could not get my head around and even now it sometimes feels like it happened to someone else and not to me mm. um so there's a sort of like a numbness there and I think that's because of fear and nervousness yeah. and anxiety and this sort of not living up to that expectation is something that really worries me I guess so in a way it was much more freeing to write those stories without anyone else knowing yes. because no one else did and no one no one read them the only person that read them were the agents that I submitted to no one else had seen them so yeah it's um it's been crazy really to think about it I think that's such an important point you make and I know you say you look back and you can't quite believe you did it but just the strategy with which you first of all like researched the um competitions so that you had deadlines to work towards and the fact that they all had judges that you know whose opinions would be worth having and things like that I think it's such a um it's such an important reminder of the purpose of those sorts of competitions you know they're not for us to have kind of accolades or praise or anything like that they really are there to support new and young writers who are writing in a new genre or who have never been published before um and I think it is just like a testament to how um important those competitions are and they so really are. for yeah. the listeners I think it's just a good reminder to us all to kind yeah. of um to have that as perhaps part of our longer term yeah. strategic plan and I say that a lot too because I I am um, occasionally run writing courses on my on my website and I say that to to people who would take my courses is that just use them it's really you don't need to be nervous about being long listed or being short at at this stage, all that matters is that you're filing something to deadline and that in itself is something and you quietly build a body because if you manage to write three or four different short stories for four different competitions because you've got a deadline in mind, that's that's four stories. You've written yeah. them, you've submitted them. Now you can go away and edit them. It doesn't matter if you get long-listed or short-listed. If you do brilliant and if you're at that stage where yes you can take it that level where you're eyeing up who the judges are and you're saying right I want to get in front of so-and-so at that publishing house or I want that literary agency to take notice of me that's like your next round and your next mm. step but I just I I wish in a way that because the U.S. has got so much more of this um, literary tradition of short yeah. stories I think and they used to and also I, be very well paid short story writers yeah. you know I think that's changed massively because the world of magazines has changed massively um, yeah. but yeah but there, is, don't a, there is a real the history of magazine. that yeah. yeah we don't I don't as far as I know um, like obviously there's a white review that champions short stories um, in in that sort of literary journal tradition way but um yeah, it, it's it's almost a shame. But then at the same time, there are loads of, of, of competitions around and they might not be these big, big prestigious ones. And they don't need to be when you're yeah, to get when noticed. you're starting out. Yeah. yeah and to get yeah. noticed. Um, and people are like they want new writers. They're hungry for new yes. writers. And that's a way to find you. So, yeah, I hugely recommend it to, to people to have a plan and to sort of you have to take. And again, I say all this knowing that I don't apply it to myself now in my kind of novel writing because I am scared of meeting the page every day. But when you approach it, like in that whirlwind of five months where it was just right, this is what I'm going to do. Mm. I'm going to do it. And I somehow didn't talk myself out of it. And I think finding that courage to just be so 
blinkered and so busy as well. It's being busy writing is so yes. much better than stand sitting in front of your screen and just sort of being too scared to look. Um, but once you start writing, then you get busy with the writing. So it's it's you just there's no avoiding it. You just have to write. Basically, that's it. <laughs> oh well, thank you so much for. Um talking about all of this with me today um it's just so fascinating and the collection is just so stunning really heartbreaking beautiful incredible um yeah it just definitely feels like I, I it fell into my hands exactly the right time it's, oh yeah, thank you so much so honey. beautiful That's so nice of you um and we just usually finish on what we're reading so uh can you share something that you yes. enjoyed recently well, at the moment, I am writing my novel, as you said, and um, I'm not one of those people that can't read about the themes that I'm writing about because I actually find it very enriching and really like eye-opening. Um, so what I'm doing right now, actually, is <laughs> reading um, one of my favourite books again, which is Sense and Sensibility. Um, oh, yes, I love that one. <laughs> I, um, I, I don't have much to give away because... That, face it I'm still first drafting but my novel is about sisters and I am fascinated by that dynamic and fascinated by female relationships by relationships of any sort really um and I love the setup of two Mm. sisters who are very different and I know that that's been done and you know I, I don't I don't want to cliche that um but I love the delicacy that uh with which it's done and Sense and Sensibility and Jane Austen. I mean, I grew up reading Jane Austen and loved it, but I hadn't actually, I don't think I've read Sense and Sensibility as, um, you know, as an adult. I think I must have read it when I was in my late teens and read it repeatedly Mm. and then sort of been obsessed with it and then sort of let it, you know, pushed it aside. So it's quite interesting to read it now um, because I can see all the things that used to frustrate me because I always wanted Marianne to be with Willoughby. I was very yeah. disappointed that she wasn't. I was like, just, just, just the romantic in you. Just, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so it's really interesting to read it sort of older and slightly yeah. calmer and less and less <laughs> it. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm enjoying kind of the sisterly dynamic and the, uh, yeah, the lightness of touch, I think, is something that you can learn so much from from rereading classics so yeah I um, mean that is also one of my favorite Austens as well I love the dynamics between them it's so interesting and also it's the best film the Ang Lee version is absolutely the best Austen film that has ever been made I'm sure there's lots of people who will disagree with me but (laughs) no it is I I agree with you I um I remember being a teenager watching that and I remember being slightly obsessed by it. And then I'd read somewhere that they'd, um, like for their makeup, they'd put, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they put Vaseline on their eyelids for it to all be very natural looking. And I remember thinking, right, that's what I'm going to do now. <laughs> I'm going to be like Marianne, but um, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I have been reading, um, this past week, um, A Ghost in the Throat by Darren Nigel. I have that book. I haven't finished it, but I oh. have. It was mesmerizing. It is just, it has really blown me away, actually. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, it's it's a part memoir, part biography 
part almost autofiction, I think, yeah, in a way. It's, that's how I started reading it. The genres yeah. together. And it's about um Darren de Grief is a is she's an Irish poet. And it's really talking about her experiences, really, really in the thick of, of motherhood when she has her third and then her fourth child. And her fourth child is very unwell when when she's born. And and she becomes obsessed with this um 18th century Irish poet. Um, and she she goes about digging into and trying to find this poet's in in like evidence of her existence essentially and she has very famous male relatives who are very um well documented in Ireland and um she has almost all but disappeared and so it's the story of kind of obsession of finding this kind of disappeared woman um and it's just incredible and the way she writes about motherhood is just um amazing this kind of this push and pull this sort of obsession mm-hmm. with her children and her need to fill her time and her need to feel needed but at the same time her need to write and to think um and I you've you've massively so relatable. reminded me mm-hmm. I, I Lucy Caldwell actually recommended that book to me over like a, a message on Twitter and um I'd got it and then I think I'd started it and felt like you know what I need some I need time for this yes and I'd set it you aside, do. You've, yeah. you've reminded me about it and I can't wait to get back into it because yeah. I remember the, the I mean it gets you from the the first page it's raw it's, it's really really raw, raw and, and it does get quite dark in places it's probably not great for a new mother to read mm. someone who's very in that very fresh early days of motherhood um not because anything so horrific happens but because the emotions explored are quite yes, intense they're quite intense yeah <laughs> yeah but it's really um incredible and i i've also just enjoyed it, i guess from a craft and technical point of view the way she has woven together herself and this poet together mm. um it's just really incredible on a technical level so um yeah so just yeah Wow. I'm going to get away. back to it. Yeah. <laughs> when I finish Sense and Sensibility, it's totally different, but yes. It's, oh, uh, I know. Do you do that with too. your reading? Do you flip back and forth with quite different feels or do you get stuck into a, a bit of a feel for quite a few books in a row? Um, at the moment, I am kind of obsessed by reading books about sisters. So mm. it's curious as well because then I, I'll flip between sort of, you know, old representations for older books and then newer books and what's so fascinating is that the same dynamics often reappear because sisters are you know sisters the nature of being sisters is not going to have changed in time and you are you are who you are and uh there's some interesting interesting sister dynamics in a ghost in the throat interesting tip thank you I will I will definitely <laughs> pick it up again in the, yeah. um, in the 18th sure. century there's some, there's a little bit of yeah she's uh, the uh, the poet um um Eileen Dove is um she's a twin oh amazing so there's, yeah so there's, yeah. there's a bit in there but again it's quite a lot of it has to be imagined because yeah. a lot of a lot of these lives, you know, of women are just we lost. don't know. Yeah, we don't know what's happened to them. So yeah, gosh, it sounds beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, and so, if people want to get in touch or follow you, where's the best places to find you online? Oh, thank you. Well, the I guess the best place to find me is on my Instagram because I I have a Twitter, but I don't really like using it very much. But on Instagram, it feels like a a nicer place to be so um you can find me there I'm I'm a Qureshi writer on there but um I I just I I don't 
overthink what to put on it. So like you'll often see lots of pictures of my my house, which is being renovated at the moment, or like I love, I love that kind of thing anyway. So I'm very like, much enjoying the house uh, renovations. I have to say, yeah. on your Instagram, um, it's very, it's really confusing because I didn't, I don't, I never really thought that I would use my Instagram for my my kind of talking about writing and books and things, and it, it's just very odd to me that I. I don't know it just seems like a funny place to um a funny way to live I suppose to share all these different sides to yourself but on the other hand they are they're like snippets of your moments in your life and I like that I like the vision I've always treated it that way as well just a different aspect because my work has always involved multiple different things um yeah I've always sort of blended it together (laughs) yeah and I think that's really nice because sometimes like I think you can start overthinking what you use it for. You know, yeah. like, oh, well, I should only be writing, talking about my books. But, so, but we are not just our books and yeah. we are mothers and we are you know, decorating our house and we like looking at this and we like looking at that and we might like a certain fashion. And, you know, I think it's totally fine to be all those yeah. people. And, and it's nice to have an outlet to do it on. And, and so far, Instagram has been a very nice place to be. But I don't feel, yeah. Whereas on Twitter, if you tweet me on Twitter or DM me, which people do bizarrely, even though I'm not active on it at all, and it's like, I'm not really here. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, for the longest time, and I, in fact, keep forgetting to check that there is a hidden folder in Twitter from people who you don't follow, that I if they that. send you a message, that it goes into its own separate folder, like an in Instagram, but I know the right. Instagram one is there, whereas I didn't yeah. know the Twitter one was there. I didn't <laughs> I know the Twitter one was there. was messages from random people from like six months ago. And I'm like, oh, sorry, it's a bit rude, <laughs> but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Too many ways for, t- for us each to contact each other, isn't there? Indeed, yeah. Um, thank you well, so much. Thank you. Um, and I'll put that in the show notes. And um, yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for being here. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can find show notes, including the best ways to get in touch with us, as well as any reading recommendations mentioned in the episode at nottoobusytowrite.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe. And please go ahead and leave us a little review. It really helps others to find the podcast. You can find Ali on Instagram at Ali underscore Miller underscore writes and Penny at Penny Windsor. Music and editing is by Ewan Miller-McMeekin.